What's up, family? How y'all doing? Uh, my name is Isaac Curry. For those of you who are here for the first time, um, those of you who are back, I appreciate you. Uh, we appreciate you for taking your spiritual, your emotional growth seriously. So thank you. Shout out to everybody who is here, who who is returning. And thank you for everybody. If this is your first time, let all of your family know that this is your first time tuning in to a Therapy Thursdays. Both the Flowers and the Curries are grateful to have your contribution, your presence that says, yo, this Therapy Thursdays, it hits different because we we dare to look at scripture. We dare to attempt to marry uh, counseling, therapy, and scripture. Not that we are psychologists, none by far. We just, we really deeply in a meaningful way desire for the people of God to take their emotional maturity, their emotional health um, seriously, just as seriously as we take our spiritual or our biblical literacy. Right. And for Curry, for myself, one thing I know for certain is that you can't be spiritually mature if you're not emotionally mature. Right. And for us, we really want to place emphasis on the emotional person as well. Are y'all ready for God's word? I'm not going to preach to you. I'm not going to necessarily teach to you. I want to have a dialogue with you because today's subject is a first for me. Um, today's subject is one that I tried to avoid because I knew that it had layers and I didn't really want to touch it. Um, but God has really been presenting this and keeping this before me. So today's message is likely the foundation of many more messages that maybe my wife and I will try to attack in our podcast. But today is very weighty, very simple, very important. So I want to pray with you. Y'all let us know where you're streaming from. Let us know where you're coming in from. Let us know um, where you represent. We're excited that you're here. But I want to pray with you. And then I want to ask you a series of questions. And in asking you a series of questions, I believe that God is going to reveal some things to us that will help us or the people around us to become better. Lord, we thank you for an opportunity to hear from you, not from Isaac, not from Jerry, but from the Holy Spirit. Use me as a vessel. Convict, convince, convert, encourage. Do whatever you need to do to draw your people closer to you. I am but a vessel. Help me to articulate that which you have already shared with me. Holy Spirit, have your way. You know what your children need to hear and how they need to receive it. So make the hearts of your people fertile so that when the word goes forth and as the Holy Spirit moves, they will not resist. But yet, God, we will receive. We thank you for today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Listen, I have a question. I want to, I want to jump in. I have a question. Have you ever studied the life of Jezebel? Like, I'm not saying have you heard of her? I'm not talking about what someone told you or what you repeated of what someone gave you. But like, have you ever taken the time to, let's say, read 
um, a little bit about Jezebel, like in first Kings chapter 16 through chapter 21. Like, have you ever taken the time to watch her life, to watch how she runs her marriage, how she gets what she wants, when she wants, how she wants, how she intimidated strong men? like how she was manipulative, how she used her beauty and her influence to cause men of God to turn away from the faith and to worship idols? Like, have you really ever stopped to say, yeah, I heard about the spirit of Jezebel and maybe you've called someone a Jezebel, but like, have you ever really just looked at her life though and really say, okay, these are the attributes of, of what people might be referring to when they say Jezebel. I want to encourage you uh, to just observe her life because God brought me back to first Kings chapter 16 through chapter 21. And I was just reading. And I'm like, yo, people were terrified of her. Like she ran the marriage. She ran Israel. Yes, her husband Ahab was king, but she was queen by default. And she, everything moved when she said move. Like she was strong. She was powerful. She was intimidating. She was manipulative. She got people. She murdered people innocent men. She did it. And the thing that causes me just a little bit confusion, not confusion, but made me ask God a question was how could someone murder men, murder innocent people, lie, steal, cheat, use their influence to manipulate people and lay their head at down at night on a pillow and go to sleep soundly. I asked God that question. I actually, and like, how can someone lie to you? How can someone lie and then just go and sleep sound? The only, and the, the, in the simplistic, the, 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 the most simple answer is this, because she's a narcissist. Write that, write down that word, narcissist. Narcissus was a Greek god who fell in love with his image. And the story sometimes goes that he was walking and he came to a body of water and he looked over and he saw an image as he looked in the body of water and he was so enamored, so captivated with this image that he just fell in love with this image, not realizing that it was his, his own image. And he ended up falling in the water and drowning because he fell in love with this image. Narcissist. A narcissist is someone who pursues gratitude or, or pursues gratification at the expense of everybody or anybody around them. A narcissist is someone who pursues gratification at the expense of people they love, at the expense of people around them, at the expense of other people. They have a desire and the desire that they have, they will get it, even if it means hurting someone else. Jezebel. Jezebel is the textbook image of what a narcissist looks like. A narcissist who, who wants what they want, how they want, when they want. They will lie, they will steal, they got, they're controlling, like they are toxic. Yo, 
like, like Jezebel was toxic in her marriage. Like Jezebel got what she want when she wants. She was controlling. She lied and she slept sound at night. She was what you call a grandiose or even a malignant narcissist. And so I'm saying, okay, God, this is not far fetched. Like, okay, I, I see her attributes and I can see how this is narcissism at its best. And so he called me to keep reading. And I want you to read with me because something else came up. And so I went, I mean, she was so terrible that when they talk about her husband, King Ahab, they have to also include, but you know, she was, he was, he was married to Jezebel. Like he, like Jezebel is who influenced Ahab to do all the things that he did. Right. But I want to read first Kings chapter 16. I promise you this word is powerful. Verse 29, it says, Ahab, it's introducing King Ahab, the king of Israel who got married to Jezebel, the narcissist. Everybody say it with me. Jezebel is a narcissist. Hmm. Ahab, son of Omri, began to rule over Israel, right? In the 38th year of King Asa's reign in Judah, he reigned in Samaria. Underline that word Samaria or circle it. For 22 years, but Ahab, son of Omri, did what was evil in God's sight, even more than any of the kings before him. Hmm. I wonder how. And and as though that were not enough to follow the example of King Jeroboam, but before him, like the worst king in history, the Bible says if that wasn't bad enough, he married Jezebel, the daughter of King Ethbal um, of the Sidonians. And he began to bow down after he got married, after he entered into a covenant with this narcissist, he began to worship idolatry. Mm. That's that's powerful. And the Bible says um, he did more to provoke the anger of God of Israel than any other kings before him. Hmm. I want to read something else. I want you to skip over to chapter 21. First Kings chapter 21. I want to read this and then I, I got something that I have tension with. And if you read chapter 21, verse 25, no one else so completely sold himself to what was evil in God's sight as King Ahab. As he did, the Bible says, under the influence of his wife, Jezebel. I could stop reading right there. Everybody say, Jezebel is a narcissist. I'm going somewhere with this. His his worst outrage was worshiping idols just as the Amorites had done and the people whom the Lord had driven out from the land of the Israelites. Um, And the Bible does say, though, that when he heard and when you read all of this, that God was going to destroy everybody in the household of Ahab. The Bible said that when he got word that God was upset with him and he was going to destroy his entire lineage, that he became humble. Look what it says. It says um, in verse 28. Chapter 21. Then another message of the Lord came to Elijah. Um, Do you see how Ahab humbled himself before me because he has done this? I will not do as I promised during his lifetime. It will happen to his sons. I will destroy his dynasty. Mm. Because that happened in verse 27. But when Ahab heard this message, he tore his clothing, dressed in burlap and fasted. He slept in burlap and he went about in deep mourning. Ah, All this is important. All this is important. All this is important. 
And so for me, I finished reading this, right? And I want to get my footing. I finished reading this because my first question, how could someone do the things Jezebel did and be at peace? And the answer is because they are narcissists. Then I start reading more about Jezebel. And then after reading this, I had one fundamental question. Man, but what about Ahab? Like, I felt sorry for King Ahab. Like, what about the husband? Poor him. Like, yo, like he was stuck. Like Ahab was in a covenant with the woman who controlled him. And he did everything that she told him to do. What about King Ahab? That th- You can't read chapter 16, and I'm, I'm going to apply this to our lives. You can't read chapter 16 through 21 and only focus on Jezebel and not ask the question like, yo, but what, but, but, but what about Ahab? Like he had no way out of his marriage. He was stuck like Chuck, like he, he, like, yo, what is it like to be married to a narcissist? So I, I, I'm, I'm asking God questions because God, no, I got questions and I got questions. What is it like to fall in love with a narcissist? Like, have you ever fell in love with a narcissist? Like, uh, some some people say I've had I've had two and three or four encounters with narcissists, and I don't know why I keep attracting narcissists. I seem to only attract narcissist men or women who it's all about them. They lie, they cheat, and they're okay with it. They they sing all the songs and and they keep luring you back in. Have you ever? Have, do you even know a narcissist? Like you know someone you like yo that just like Jezebel. But I had a question and I had tension. I was like yo. But what about King Ahab? Like he's in a marriage that he can't get out and she's controlling him. Like, like, and when you read scripture, the Bible teaches us, like in chapter 21, that God was more angry with Ahab and not Jezebel. And so when I started asking God this question, why did Ahab choose her and there were some other political reasons that their their parents, you know, got them married, but like, yo, and then God started to reveal to me not all narcissists look alike. Oh, I'm, I'm making a turn. Y'all did all that so I can make this turn. Some narcissists look like Jezebel but not not all narcissists resemble Jezebel. Some narcissists look just like Jezebel, but not all narcissists assume the form of Jezebel. Meaning, and I'm saying, okay, say more. And so now I'm studying, I'm studying, I'm trying to, okay, okay, okay. There is a such thing as overt narcissism. Meaning there are people who you can look and you can see and you can watch and you can say, that's a narcissist. They lie, they cheat, they steal, they do all of this and with no regard to other people. I I need y'all to listen to me. But here I am trying to find a way to be empathetic toward Ahab. And then God says, 
he does not get let off the hook because King Ahab was her supply. Because every overt narcissism or every narcissist needs a supply system. And so I say, okay, okay, God. So I'm trying, I'm trying to study, I'm trying to study. And for weeks and weeks, I'm going, okay, I'm learning something. There is a such thing as overt narcissists. And if there is a such thing as overt narcissism, if there's a terminology that says that, yo, people are overt, then that, then that by default means that there's also narcissists who are covert. Read, 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 read. God said to me, not all narcissists have the same face. Not all narcissists look the same. Okay? There's some narcissists who are what they call somatic, somatic, right? Meaning that they are preoccupied with how they look. Their, their, their image, their, their physical appearance, they by all means, they got to make sure they look good, which I wonder if places and social media and things like Instagram, where it fo- focuses on our physical features and our appearance of looking like we're happy, although behind the scenes, we could be falling apart. I just wonder, but somatic narcissists are people who become so preoccupied with how they look in their physical features and their appearance. And they're so willing, to, they, they, they got to look a certain way that, they're, that they would They would alter whatever they need to do so that they look good all the time. Perfection. There's such thing as cerebral narcissists. These are narcissists who have to be the smartest person in the room all the time. They want you to fall in love and they want you to admire and affirm their intellect. So they're always going to let you know how smart they are because they want you to know that they are smarter than you and they're smarter than everybody else in the room. So I said, yo, I know some somatic narcissists. I know some cerebral narcissists. People, you know, my boyfriend or my girlfriend, yo, she always let me know, yo, that she's smarter than me. But hear me. So presenting this to God, trying to find empathy for King Ahab, God had to let me know that narcissists don't all look the same. So I needed to start researching and saying, oh, hold, hold. you mean to tell me there's a such thing as uh, a narcissist that is somatic, a narcissist that is cerebral, but there's a such thing as a narcissist who is a closet narcissist. And a narcissist that is maybe not necessarily a closet, but they're a mirror. A closet narcissist is that one who will assume the role of a victim. They will somehow, someway play the victim role and sometimes unbeknownst to them so that they can get the attention, the sympathy from other people. They are those people who will downplay their skills. They don't have any skills so that people around them can praise them and tell them all the things that they do good because they have a goal and their goal is the same goal as an overt narcissist. I need affirmation. I need validation. 
I need attention and I'm willing to use any tool to get that destination. And so then you have a closet or you have a, a closeted or a vulnerable. Some some psychologists call it vulnerable. Like, yo, these are people who somehow attach themselves to narcissists and yet still complain about what happened in that narcissistic relationship and all the things that happened to them. When you talk to them, somehow the conversation is going to be switched back to them because all they can see is their image, unbeknownst to them many times. There's a closet narcissist. You mean to tell the victim role? would downplay their skills, find a way so that other people can give them attention and give them affection and give them adoration and to to puff them up. But they do this all while being behind the the overt narcissist. Because see, that closeted narcissist will always attach themselves to an overt narcissist. They don't have to be in the front. See, a closeted narcissist, I'm trying to talk to y'all because I'm going somewhere. I'm I'm about to make another term. So a closeted narcissist, the thing about them is that, like, they don't have to be in the front. They don't they don't have to be talking loud. They don't. As a matter of fact, they would tell you they don't like attention. They would tell you they don't like to be in the front. But all the while, they know how behind the scenes to get the attention that they need. Most of the time, it's through victimization. It's through downplaying their skills. It's, it, it's through, you know, the, and there's a, even a such thing called communal narcissists. People who only attach themselves to groups and organizations and they only give, they only do so that they can get the attention and the adoration and the, the applause for what they do. And so they always attach themselves to, to, to groups of people so that they can get the, the you, you do that, you do this, you do this, yes, you do this, and you give this much. Yeah, narcissist, but come back, closeted narcissist. But the one that really, besides the closet, because the closeted, you know, I was like, Hold on, you mean to tell me that this is a form of narcissism? Yeah. Because the end goal is to get you, is to manipulate you. And many people don't even realize it's what they're doing. To get attention. To get your validation. To get your sympathy. All the while never changing their behavior never changing their 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 choices or their how they choose or their pattern of choosing but there there is there is a narcissist who has been shaped to satisfy and meet the needs of overt narcissists Usually because their parents taught them because their parents were narcissists. There is a form of narcissism called mirror narcissism. And so I'm looking at this text and I'm saying, God, but what about Ahab? Ahab was in a marriage. Man, man, woe to Ahab. No, because hear this. God said there are different forms of narcissists. But then I said, okay, how are narcissists made? Like, like, how do they come about? 
And then I learned that narcissists are not born, they are created. They're not born, they're made. And they're almost always made by their parents. I'm looking at Ahab and I say, okay, God, I'm learning about Jezebel and I'm learning about narcissists. But God said, I don't want you to focus on Jezebel. I need you to focus on Ahab. We know who Jezebel is, but we ignore and overlook the person attached to the overt narcissist because every narcissist needs a supply system. Every narcissist needs someone to be a mirror to show them their image. And so when we're looking at King Ahab, King Ahab was a narcissist himself. Although he wasn't overt like his wife, he was covert and he was a mirror because while she was on the front, he was giving her a mirror, showing her her own image. He was satisfying her. He was providing her her needs. He did everything she wanted. Why? Because he learned how to be a mirror. Because every narcissist needs a supply system. And so then my question is, God, so he's a narcissist too, but he doesn't look like, because all narcissists don't look alike. But there are narcissists who attach themselves to other narcissists, making it like a codependent narcissistic relationship because one doesn't need to be in the front. They just need to attach themselves to domineering people, people who need to have attention, people who are ruthless, people who will lie. You know that person will lie and yet you're still drawn to him. You know that she is the way she is and you know that she's gold digging. You know she wants her money and you still attracted to her. Why is it that I keep attracting men who are like narcissists? It could be that you've been trained, you've been developed, you've been fashioned yourself to be a mirror to a narcissist. Oh, they don't like you. They don't like you. Listen, 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 listen. Calm down, calm down. All right, so 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 get this. The thing that I think was revealing to me that I want to share with you is that, yo, yes. People who have and people have a people who have a tendency to attach themselves to what we understand to be narcissists, because narcissists. They look a certain way. And some of us attach ourselves to them. But the one thing we have to understand is that narcissists are formed. They're made. And they're usually made by parents who had great intentions. When this parent raised her child, she wanted her child. He wanted his child. They wanted their children to not struggle the way that they struggled. And, and so unbeknownst to them, how they parented their child caused their child to grow up to be narcissistic. What do you mean? Many times when a parent, when they are raising they, their child and they focus on achievements, appearances, and pretense, it often 
shows or communicates to the child that what's more important are external things. Give me achievements. Celebrate the the honor roll. The, the celebrate, you know, the awards, you know, and they tell everybody and everything is about achievements. Achieve, achieve, accomplishment, accomplishment. And you love how your parents laud you and praise you because you did good. And everything is about the the accomplishments and then the, the, the appearance, even the appearance. And that is fake it until you make it. The statement itself, fake it until you make it, has narcissistic tendencies. I know you don't like that because it's something that you say. Because it says that I will give the image that I'm successful and that I'm happy, although behind the scenes, it's disruptive, it's poor, and it's out of line. So fake it, act like it. And so the thing about children who eventually become narcissistic, they see what their parents mean when it says, we will act like we have status, we will act like we're happy, but when you come home and you leave church or when you leave whatever event, y'all are fighting, y'all are cussing, there's no... So all I understand is when I leave this house, I need to pretend. I need to give the appearance and the image of something that's not, that's not necessarily true. But then there's a pretense. A pretense says, like, like yo, we're going to pretend. We're going to pretend. We're going to pretend like we got money. We're going to pretend. Everything is about pretense. And so what ends up happening to your child, and this, there's more to it. When a parent raises their child to focus on achievements, to focus on accomplishments, to focus on appearances, and to focus on giving the image of something that you know as a child doesn't seem to be consistent with behind the scenes. But the other part of the parenting that really sets a child up for narcissistic behavior is that you never show up for them emotionally. Like you're there for them with, you know, when it comes to the accomplishment, but you don't show up with your presence. And so a child who has a parent who places more emphasis on appearance rather than their presence, they never talk to you about how is your day going? How are you feeling? As a matter of fact, shut up. Don't cry. Shut up. Don't talk about it. And so as a child who becomes an adult, I focus more on exterior things while my inner world is underdeveloped. And so a narcissist, any and every narcissist has a problem discussing, developing or processing their emotions because nowhere in their lives were they taught how to communicate what they feel. So a narcissist can sleep at night. A narcissist can lie to you. A narcissist can move and and then go to sleep. Why? Because emotionally, they don't have to. They don't know how to be empathetic. They don't know how to put themselves in your shoes. They don't know what hurt really feels like other than their own hurt because a narcissist is a walking shame box. Like they get shame on the inside that by any means necessary, they will protect. 
So I'm looking at this text with Ahab. Just let's follow me. And like I'm, I'm trying to discover Ahab's life because I'm studying Jezebel, but I keep focusing on Ahab because Ahab is in a marriage and we can easily look at the overt narcissist and say, man, you are trouble. You cause pain in this marriage. But what about the person who chose it? Let's just take ourselves away from Ahab because we understand that behind the scene, contextually, their fathers entered into an agreement, a political agreement, and that's why they ended up getting married. But let's just say for humor's sake that many of us, somebody has entered into a relationship, entered into a marriage with someone that they fell in love with, although you know her behavior, although you know how she moves, although you know how he moves, because some of us will not admit, some of us don't realize, yo, you mean to tell me that not all narcissists look this way? Because when I said narcissism in the very beginning of this dialogue, many of you already have the image. That's a narcissist. He's a narcissist. My boss is a narcissist. My ex-boyfriend is a narcissist. My ex-spouse is a narcissist. My friend who is no longer my friend is a narcissist. You got narcissists all around you. But it never occurred to you that you could be the supply. And if you're the supply, then let me frame something for you. The most dangerous person in a narcissistic relationship isn't who you think it is for the reasons you think it may or should be. The most dangerous person in any narcissistic relationship is not the narcissist itself, but the supply. Because no narcissist can exist without the person holding up the mirror. And for some of us, we have been cultivated and shaped and fashioned to choose people who need you to hold up a mirror so that they can look great, so they can be great. And you get your satisfaction, your gratification, and still even complain about it because you hold up the mirror. There is an overt narcissist and then there is a covert narcissist. But we were made, not born. And many times you didn't ask for it. It was given to you. All right, all right. So I'm looking at, I'm looking at Ahab, right? And I'm looking at his life. And I'm like, okay, just studying this. And I'm learning that narcissists have many faces. Narcissists have more than one face. Like how do you spot a narcissist. And then God said, it's, it's another attribute that I want you to focus on because one thing about a narcissist is narcissists don't like the word no. I, I, because the question that I ask God is, so how, like what, like, like how do I, like how do you identify 
like a narcissist. If you're telling me that all narcissists don't look the same, some look one way, some are another way, and then we are, when I say we, I'm saying as humans, where we're m- many of us are, are fashioned by parents who meant well, but they are doing what they were taught. And a mirror narcissist can only be a mirror because they parent who is a narcissist taught them how to hold up a mirror. Yo. So when you look at Ahab's life, watch this, let me help you. I say, okay. And you look at chapter 16, you'll discover that Ahab had a father by the name of Omri. Right above verse 29 in chapter 16, O-M-R-I. And his father one day decided to purchase a piece of land on a hill for, for little or nothing. He purchases land on a hill and then he gives it a name, Samaria, to honor the person who he pretty much got it for free, got it at bargain, Shemer. So he names this piece of land Samaria. And then from Samaria, he builds a city. King Ahab, his father, Omri. His father, Omri, creates a city with his own two hands. He builds an entire city that would eventually become the capital of Israel. He built, His daddy had enough awareness to build an entire city. And when you study his father, you will discover that his father not only built a city that ends up becoming the capital of Israel, but what he turns around and does, he turns away and turns people away from God and he becomes an idol worshiper. And he becomes, at the time of his life, the worst king ever. His father was a narcissist. Think about it. The child of a king who creates a city or the child of a man who creates a city becomes a well-known city in all of this region and then becomes an idol worshiper and then does evil in the sight of the Lord. I'm talking about evil of evil and his son. His father, Ahab, was a narcissist. And all while his father was being a parent, his father was teaching his son how to be a mirror to him, how to be a supply. And when our parents teach us how to be a supply, we leave home looking for people to become who our parents were. And so they're shadow parents. And so now I'm looking for a person who has the same characteristics that my mama or my daddy had that may be domineering, that may be lying. You know, you can't trust them. That may be someone who is violent or someone who needs to cheat. And I choose them. And I keep choosing them because I was taught how to be a mirror. Some of us are mirrors unbeknownst to ourselves. And we're calling other people narcissists and we don't have empathy for other people who are narcissists. And we could very well be the ones who need repentance. 
He chose based on how he was raised. Many of us choose based on how we were raised. We were the supply and we know how to be the supply. We know how to take a step back. We know how to be obedient. We know how to be submissive. We know how to say, yes, ma'am. We know how to give her everything that she wants. We know how to make them happy because I had to make my parents happy. I had to make my mama happy. I had to make my daddy happy. And just because you don't like their behavior doesn't mean, or you didn't like them or didn't get along with them when you were a child doesn't mean you're still not a mirror. Help me, help me, help me. Narcissists, they need a supply. They need somebody to blame. They need someone to satisfy their self-fulfilled prophecy of perfection. I'm looking for somebody and you got to be perfect and only to realize that no one's perfect. And so they use you as an opportunity so that they can expose your flaws while covering theirs up. They don't like the word no. And when a narcissist hears the word no, they will blame, they will fight, they will cause confusion, they will act out in order to get their way because a narcissist doesn't like the word no. Let me give you a couple more things. I want to make sure. I, the goal of a narcissist, and then I'm going to give you a few things to be able to spot a narcissist. The goal of a narcissist is to protect themselves against injury and discovery. The goal or the aim of a narcissist is to protect themselves from injury. That's why they choose to hurt you first. They hurt you first because they tell themselves if they don't hurt you, you're going to hurt them. And so they're in a relationship that is toxic because I got to hurt you. And if I hurt you, then you won't hurt me. They have been hurt in their lives. And so what they want to do is they tell themselves, I'm going to hurt you. And then I'm going to prevent you from discovering and exposing the shame on the inside, the insecurity that I have on the inside. So a narcissist does not want to be exposed. So they will cause confusion. They will cause disorientation. They will lie. They will gaslight. They will abuse just so you can remain in a place of confusion. Because if you're in a place of confusion, then you by by default, like replenish, you replenish like their supply. I don't want you to expose me and I don't want you to hurt me. So I'm going to hurt you and I'm going to make sure that I continue to lie or keep you confused. Let me give you this. Mm, mm. Mm, mm. All of this is good, but I just want to give you, I just want to, I want to give you just, hmm. All right. So a mirror narcissist, a closet narcissist, but how do I spot one? Let me give you a few things. A closeted narcissist is someone who um, is passive aggressive and they commonly form unstable, emotionally unstable relationships. They're passive aggressive, meaning that they don't know how to communicate what they feel. So they're very passive aggressive. And when you look over the course of their lives, the relationships they enter into are often unstable. 
Um, they ignore their needs. I'm talking about closeted, covert. I'm talking about mirrors and, and I'm talking about closeted narcissists. You want to know one thing they do? You will, you will study and learn that they often deny their needs while being extremely concerned with everybody else's needs. That's crazy. Hold on. Oh, like, like by all means, let me, let me, you know, because I know how to be a mirror. I know how to appear to be selfless so that I can get all of the attention for being selfless because I'm doing it with an end goal. I'm doing it because I'm getting something in return and I know how to do it. Right. So like, like uh, another thing, they fear abandonment and because they fear abandonment, they play the role of victim and they are very clingy, demanding, and submissive. And they're, they're this way so they can avoid being alone. A closeted narcissist, you learn, can be clingy. They, they can be very demanding in a relationship, in the context of a relationship. They can be very submissive. They can obey. They do all of these things because they don't want you to leave because there's something on the inside that they experienced in their past about abandonment. And so they know how to keep you from leaving. So they're very demanding, very submissive, very clingy, only because they don't want to be alone. Not because the Bible teaches this, not because they're approaching this relationship whole, not because they want to make sure that they give you respect and they want the respect in return. This is a manipulation tool. Then there is, uh, they have the inability to trust while also having low self-esteem. That's a cocktail, dangerous con a cocktail. Like they don't know how to trust and they have low self-esteem. They feel empty unhappy, and they often are bored. They get bored quickly. Like, you know, like they, they're, they're empty, they're unhappy, they're, they're, they, they're lonely, but they often get bored extremely quickly. Let me give you another one. They're perfectionists. Whoa, what? They're perfectionists. Oh, study, study, study. They're perfectionists who look down on themselves most of the time. I'm talking about closeted narcissists, talking about vulnerable um, narcissists, narcissists, vulnerable narcissists, or if you're looking for the term inverted narcissists, mirror narcissists. Man, some of this stuff, I'm like, yo, I feel violated. They're externally fragile, defensive, shy, while also being self-centered. Man, see, y'all don't even want to hear it. See, some of y'all are already trying to disconnect. Y'all like, I don't, hey, listen, I'm going to say it again. A closeted narcissist, one of an attribute, one of the attributes they're externally fragile, defensive, shy, and they are self-centered. <laughs> they rarely take responsibility for their behavior. They just rarely take accountability. And the last one, they're emotionally sensitive and don't know how to, to handle criticism. Mm. They are 
emotionally sensitive. So, so I'm, I'm looking at this text back to Ahab and even our lives. I'm like, yo, God was upset with Ahab because it's more dangerous to be coverted, a mirror, closet, and be self-centered than it is to be out in the open where everybody sees you, knows you, can hear you, can monitor your movements and see the self-centeredness. Is it possible to be in the church, Christ follower, and self-centered, focused on self, give large sums and tell everybody about it because you know everybody's going to validate your movement and your, your giving. Like, yo, I keep choosing these relationships that look this particular way and this particular person that's always domineering and they're always treating me this way and they're always, uh, but what about you? There has to be accountability. And when I'm looking at the text, I'm saying, yo, more of us believers are more self-centered than we probably would like to admit. And it's probably what's impacting our choices. And so the powerful thing in the text is that that Ahab did something that moved God, that I believe gives, gives us a recipe on what do I do if everything that I'm hearing from you now, I know this is just foundational. What do I do if... I'm hearing what you're saying, but I don't want to tell anybody, but that's me. What do I do if if I'm hearing what you're saying and I'm the one that's holding up a mirror because I had a narcissistic mother or a father and I choose what do like someone is saying, yo, like how? Okay, bring help me. Ahab humbled himself. Ahab received the rebuke. First, he received the rebuke. Then he humbled himself and then he repented. For some of us, you spent your whole life hiding in a closet, a whole life holding up a mirror while the, while the entire time you're still getting your gratification in some weird way. Why You don't even realize it. You're getting your high. You're getting your high. You go from one toxic relationship to another toxic relationship, still getting your high, right? Still getting your high because you had a narcissistic parent who taught you how to be the supply. And you don't even realize the whole time you're the reason that the the overt narcissist exists and continues. Otherwise, that narcissist would never have a supply. So what Ahab teaches me, the first thing you have to do is you have to be willing to receive the truth, receive the rebuke. For some of us, it's hard for us to even believe, let's say, that this is true. So let me give you some steps. Before looking outward, turn inward. Move in humility. I want you to do what Ahab did to some degree. Receive. Man, this I think this applies to me. Operate in humility. God, I need help. I need your help. I need someone to help me. I submit to what you're revealing. 
You got to have the humility, right? And then there needs to be repentance. God, I'm going to itemize everything that you're bringing to me because I want to lay this on the altar. And I'm not just asking for forgiveness. I want to turn away. Like I got to turn away. You can't do it on your own power. You need the Holy Spirit to help. And you might need therapy as well as scripture. Yo, scripture and therapy, Christ and therapy. I want you to, I need help. Before you look outward, look inward, move in humility, discover how others experience you. If you don't believe that this could potentially be you, ask five people, how do they experience you? And don't fight them and tell them there will not be any repercussions. How do they experience you? And then hear what they say. Not people who you know are going to tell you what you want to hear, who are your echo chamber. You have to discover how people experience you if you don't think this applies to you. Evaluate yourself. And as you evaluate yourself, that brings you to a space of an Ahab. Yo, I receive this. I don't want this to be true, but I receive it. I humble myself and I repent. And from your repentance, you now give God fertile soil to begin to do a new work. It does not change overnight. You can still get delivered right now and still have your habits that exists because God can deliver you but still you have memory right and so the goal is help me to to move in humility consistently and God forgive me this is how you spot a narcissist because we live in a society that focuses on image, selfies, focusing on ourselves. How can you not have any attributes of a narcissist? Just because you have attributes doesn't necessarily mean you're a narcissist, but you get narcissistic tendencies. But you can be a narcissist and then not wanna lean into it so that God can heal, God can do his work but God can do anything if you give him you. Lord, we thank you for this word, this conversation, this dialogue, and everything that you're sharing with us. We repent of our sins, and tonight, today, at this moment, we're going to write down everything that you revealed to us about us. We're going to receive the word from other people, and God, we're going to lean into who you are. Lord, we thank you right now in the name of Jesus. Heal us. We thank you.